Welcome to Fortress of Faith with Tom Wallace. Strengthening the Saints Against Islam's Assault on North America. If you're new listening to this program, uh, we deal with the issues of Islam. Why? Well, uh, because uh, uh, every nation, every people group that did not resist Islam historically, those who did not resist it, fight against it, was eventually subjugated by it. The Christians that were in Asia didn't fight against it. They didn't put up a resistance. And that's why, historically, Christianity did not blossom in Asia, and it's given birth to Islam's largest nations. The largest nation being Indonesia, then Pakistan, then India, and many, many people in Asia are Islamic today. Why? Because they didn't resist it. When Islam tried to make its way into the West, into Europe, the Christians there stood up and fought back. The armies of Islam marched through North Africa into Spain and tried to march into France. They got to Poitiers, and the battle was fought there by Charles Martel, Charles the Hammer, and they were fought back. We call that the Battle of Tours because that's the bigger city, but it's actually fought in Poitiers. Then about a thousand years later, they tried to come into Europe again with the sword, and they were put back there in Vienna. And uh, they got smart. Muslims got smart. After the 1920s, after the last caliphate came to an end, there at the end of World War I, the Ottoman Empire came to a close. And uh, Muslim, a Muslim group down in Egypt formed. We know them today as the Muslim Brotherhood. And they devised their current agenda, their current plan. And I have said for many years that the Muslim Brotherhood is the most dangerous terrorist organization on the face of the earth. More dangerous than ISIS, more dangerous than Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, the Mujahideen, we could go on. Why are they more dangerous? Well, they have birthed some groups that are militant. Hamas, for example, fighting there in Israel, located in Israel, in the... um, uh, uh, they're on the west side of the country. But uh, what is dangerous about this group is their tactics. They are the smart ones, in my opinion. They're clever. They've devised a plan to infiltrate into our countries, into the West, into Europe, and into the United States, to set up their seditious groups to work amongst us, originally as our friends, and grow and procreate And then begin to agitate so that one day they might dominate. And there's a new piece of legislation that is slipping into our vocabulary. And they're trying to get into legislation. It's called Islamophobia. And they have been working this idea through the United Nations. And there's an effort right now going on to get this established into Canada. It's known as M103. We've been talking about it on our program for some time. Part of the problems with this term Islamophobia is that it really has no official definition. I'll give you one here in a moment, because if there is some precedent for the term, 
Islamophobia, it will come probably from the United Nations, from a report that was devised in 2008. I'll refer to that here in a moment. But the problem with this term, Islamophobia, is its ambiguity. What do I mean by that? It just simply means that it's a term that can mean anything. It is so loosely defined. And the problems with our laws, if our laws, if our legislators aren't clever and they make a piece of legislation, a law, that's open-ended or ambiguous in its terminology, then lawyers are left to interpret what that means. And because of the ambiguity, they could interpret it any way they like. And what you think would be completely a settled matter or uncharted or, you know, wouldn't be touched uh, becomes dealt with. It gets dealt with. And why? Because the language was not precise. And that's the problem we have with this Islamophobia. Now, where do they get this idea from, Islamophobia? Well, they borrowed it from the left when groups who tried to attack people who were fighting against abortion uh, or fighting against homosexuality. They used to label these people as, um, uh, you know, if you were against the LGBT movement, the gay homosexual movement, they said, well, you, you're a homophobe. You have a phobia, an irrational fear against homosexuals, almost suggesting that you have a mental illness. And this term has been adopted for anything that they want to uh, use it for. And so they've slapped this aphobia term on to those who are against uh, Islam, those who oppose Islam, to say, um, you know, you're an Islamophobe. Now, this bill up in Canada, M103, basically is designed on the front. It all sounds good. Um, it's simply st stating that we want to protect discrimination or, you know, keep anyone from being discriminated by their religion. Now, the problem is they already have laws like this. There's already laws for that up in Canada. But they are trying to paint this picture that Muslims are being attacked left, right, and center, and that they are the constant victims of hate crime and abuse that we need an extra law to protect Muslims. And so this M103 basically is all designed not to really protect people in general from discrimination by their religion. The only religion mentioned in this motion that they want to make legislation is Islam and Islam alone. And so when we get to this idea of Islamophobia, if we don't have some clarity and sharp definition to these words and a broad term like Islamophobia is allowed, then it could be interpreted to mean anything they want it to mean. But let's go to that United Nations um, report. It, it came out in 2008, and it was uh, given by the OIC. The OIC is the organization organization 
of Islamic cooperation. There are 56 nations that are Islamic, that are members of this, and there's a, a, another one, the 57th nation, which isn't technically a nation, but they vote, and that is Palestine. So basically 57 groups, nations, will vote as a voting bloc in the United Nations, and they wield a great deal of control there. This is why so many false, uh, they're, they're resolutions, but they're all false. They're all useless and meaningless uh, resolutions against Israel. Why so many resolutions against Israel are given by the United Nations is because the OIC has tremendous power in the United Nations. Well, in 2008, they came out with a report on Islamophobia. And here's how they kind of uh, portray the word. They call it a fear, or more precisely, I'm quoting, an excessive fear against Islam and anything associable with Islam, i.e. Muslims, mosques, Islamic centers, minarets, which are their prayer towers, the Holy Quran, the hijab, which is that head covering Muslims wear, the women, and so on, end quote. So what is this saying? If this is the legal definition if they turn to the United Nations as a guide to give them an idea of what does Islamophobia mean, then it would mean anything associable with Islam. So in other words, if you have a problem with a Muslim and you're a non-Muslim and you say, well, I have a problem with this Muslim, with this person for his actions, his teachings, or his faith and practice and what he's doing, or I have a problem with a mosque, or I have a problem with an Islamic center being built here next to my church or next to our school or whatever, or a minaret being built there next to a mosque or a center, an Islamic center. Uh, then they would say, or you know, if you have a problem with a with women wearing head coverings, they would say, aha, this is what we call Islamophobia. Now, if it's a law to say that you cannot have problems with these things, it tells you and, and me what we can like and not like. And then our freedom is gone. And what if a Christian, for example, has debate about the doctrines of Islam that comes out of their Quran, their scriptures, which says that my Jesus was just a man, a prophet of God, but a man, and certainly not God the Father, and that God is not God the Father, for Allah hath no son. And if a Christian debates that and takes that on, well, then all of a sudden we can't do that because that would be considered Islamophobia. So then we can't have a debate on doctrinal issues. And so folks, what, and, and, and here's the big problem, is that it makes our nations Sharia compliant because in Islamic nations, people are not allowed to question these things. They're not allowed to challenge these things. You're not allowed to criticize 
Islam. You're not allowed to criticize Muhammad. You're not allowed to criticize the teachings of the Quran. You don't question these things. You just simply obey and accept them and do them. That is the Sharia. That's what's required. That's the law of Islam. Now, that's one thing for that law to be applied to Muslims who say they're submitted to those things. But it's totally another thing to apply that law to those who are non-Muslims who don't see these things are true, but now are then forced to comply to those things if this legislation comes into play. And so, folks, you know, right now we're seeing this up in Canada. But before long, and I believe we're already seeing some examples of it where some schools are saying, well, you know, we're not going to allow Islamoph- you know, Islamophobia here. You can't complain against this. You can't speak out against that. So in... Uh, you know, in school boards, and before long we'll see it in city codes, and before long we'll see it in the state, on the state level, and an attempt to bring it into the federal level, as it is already in the United Nations level, the international law level. And I'll talk more on that side of the issue in tomorrow's program. So I hope you'll stay with us in the next few days as we continue to to discuss these issues of Islamophobia. What really is it all about? And I think we'll realize that what it is really all about is to stop you and me from criticizing and critiquing the issues and the teachings of Islam. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again tomorrow at the corner of truth and courage. God bless you.